0: Hello, hello, my name is Sean Peterbudge, and I'm here to discuss the sixth episode of the first season of the book of Boba Fett, entitled From the Desert Comes a Stranger. Obviously we've done this for the last five weeks, we may as well keep it going, we've got two to go. Directed by Dave Filoni, written by Dave Filoni and John Favreau. Buckle up, buckle up, because this could be a wild ride. Got a lot of thoughts, some good, some bad, some in-between, some musings. Um, there's a lot to unpack from this episode and like I say, a lot of it is worthwhile uh, and some of it is some of it is, is worthy of, of criticism, um, certainly discussion, because oh, I'm just not convinced it has a place in the story they should be telling, have promised us that they're telling, need to be telling. That's not to say that it's not worth their telling, a lot of it is fantastic, um, but narrative discipline. Is sort of the term that comes immediately to mind and and this is is an extraordinary episode in a number of ways because um, it's just wall-to-wall cameos and fan service for the most part and in the end the title of the episode from the desert comes a stranger uh, refers to a most unexpected character um in what is a very up and down frustrating episode um a bit of a win, to be honest, so it's 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 a very difficult thing to unpack. I'm going to try to do it now over the next little while, so thank you for listening in. Um, just in terms of the plot, Episode 6 uh, begins. We catch up with the Marshal of Mos Pelgo Territories, Cobb Vanth, who we were introduced to in the uh, second season opener of The Mandalorian. Uh, he comes across a small gang of pikes trespassing on his land. As if he needed a red flag, this is a wake-up call to Vanth that his band, or this band, of neer do Wells are ferrying the galactic narcotic Spice, and he quickly reasons that he doesn't want any of that in his region affecting his people. A short firefight ensues, of course it does, it's a lawless western frontier town, but once it's over, the marshal, like a growing number uh, of those on Tatooine, are left with a feeling of impending dread. Basically, it's because spice never means anything good, you see, and nor do the people who traffic it. Meanwhile, Din Djarin flies to a lush planet where he is met by the cheery chimes of a familiar white and blue R2 unit. It is here that Luke has taken Grogu to reconnect with the Force and begin his own journey to rebuild the Jedi Order. In consult with Ahsoka Tano, Mando must confront his motivations for coming to see Grogu and what he hopes to get out of any such meeting and, more importantly, whether reconnection is the right thing for either party. In much the same way, as Luke's training takes shape, the Jedi Master considers what will become of his and Grogu's relationship, something it seems that all Masters consider when it comes to their apprentices. Meanwhile, on Tatooine, the Pikes are mobilizing for conflict, but so too is Boba Fett and his crew, Replete with the Vesper Gang, Christanton, the uh, Wookiee, and Din Djarin, but they know that their numbers aren't enough to withstand the mighty pikes in all out war. Mando says he might be able to wrangle some reinforcements, visiting and calling on Cobb, Vanth, and his people to aid the fight against the approaching impending tyranny. For, as Vanth now knows, where the pikes go, there are no free people, and if the fight doesn't involve them now, it eventually will. As everyone finds out, The pikes won't be happy with what they've got, they'll always want for more. But, as the title suggests, a stranger comes from the desert with a proposition of his own. A man from Boba's past, in the service of his current enemy, and pulling no punches. The bounty hunter Cad Bane is the man in question, he has arrived in live action, but as his first involvement struck fear into the hearts of the people of Tatooine, or resolved them to fight back... Elsewhere, the pike slow march into Tatooine continues and they make their biggest statement yet. And finally, Mando's gift to Grogu is revealed, but at the same time Luke too has a gift and a choice for Grogu to make. So, where to start? Where to start? Cad Bane is probably a good place to start, just in terms of getting that uh, out of the way. When you're dealing with Star Wars bounty hunters, you're making a show about Boba Fett, um, you know, one of the great known iconic bounty hunters in the series, this guy has to turn up sooner or later. Uh, he's, he's an infamous iconic bounty hunter during the Clone Wars era and beyond, uh, known for fighting and being able to survive brushes with Jedi. Um, he skirmished in the past with Anakin and Obi-Wan on the Clone Wars and obviously held his own and, and survived. Um, I think he also had a battle with um, Quinlan Voss and Obi-Wan Kenobi in one of the Clone Wars episodes. Um, he was primarily shown during that era, um, uh, during the Clone Wars, uh, as well as the most recent spin-off of that show, The Bad Batch, where he dueled with, of all people, Fennec Shand, who I'm sure they'll come face-to-face again. They had a good battle. Um, and, And look, to be honest, during his time in that particular window of Star Wars, the character of Cad Bane came across all the heavy hitters, came across Jedi Knights, Jedi Masters, came across Darth Sidious, came across Count Dooku, Darth Maul, and even... A young Boba Fett himself had a little bit to do with him in Season 2, I believe, of the Clone Wars. Uh, So obviously he's turned up now as the Pikes' hired muscle. He's just on their employ at the moment, uh, which is fine by me. That makes perfect sense. He's a a nefarious bounty hunter. He's very capable. His reputation is a man that gets the job done. Um, So, of course, a big syndicate like this, a big evil kind of conglomerate like the Pikes, would have a guy like this on call. and able to help if and when he was needed. Um, And we're going to talk about some reveals later on. There's there's some in this episode, and there's been some in the past. Spoke about it last week. Finally, it was a reveal done right. I think the Mandalorian's done done a, a pretty uneven kind of job of really satisfying the narrative opportunity and the visual opportunity, you know, and the emotion in a lot of cases of these reveals of these big characters who are either returning to live action or making their debuts in live action, you know, translating over from any one of the various, you know, cartoon series. And with a character like Cad bane no he's not as well known as some of the other ones, but for for fans of the series, it's cool to see him show up. And then more importantly, it's cool to see that moment done justice. You know, obviously once you've seen the episode you know we've got this um sequence of events with Cobb Vanth uh in Mospelgo being spoken to by Mando. Mando leaves. Um, And then classic Western setup, this guy walks in from the dust, from the sand in the desert, and just from a distance you kind of go, oh, that's because he's got the wide-brimmed hat on, which is his calling card, that's his, you know, fashion item of choice, Uh, some people wear a 5950, he wears a wide-brimmed hat, and you kind of went, oh, that's, uh, I reckon that's Cad Bane. And he gets closer and they tease it a bit more, they tease it a bit more, and it builds a bit of suspense. It builds, you know, some intrigue and some interest. And then when you finally get the reveal, it's a really cool moment. It's really well done. And we're going to talk about some examples later on that aren't as well done, either in terms of, yeah, flat-out reveals or reintroductions. But it was really good to see them nail this one. You know, the Luke one from Mando season two finale on the whole was good, but there were elements of it that were a bit... You know, rewatching it again, that were just a bit undercooked and you're kind of thinking, why have you made this choice? I spoke about the Ahsoka reveal from the episode, also directed by Dave Filoni, in Mando season two, where you went, why have you just shown her in a medium shot, like five seconds into the interview? No, into the interview, into what I'm talking about, into the episode. Why have you just... That's the best way to do this? I'm like, wow. It wouldn't have been the way I would have. Jeez, surely you would have had her cutting her way through this horde in the forest and You know, hearing the impact of people running away from her and then you get the big, you know, hood off. Oh, it's a soaker. Bizarre. Just bizarre. But here, like I said, they nailed this one, which was good and a bit of a change of pace, to be honest, because they uh, haven't had a good track record with that. Uh, Elsewhere, we'll pick our way through all the other big-ticket items and talking points and... um, if you haven't got the impression already, there's plenty of them this week. Uh, but before we do, just a bit of an overview, I suppose, of where we are in the season and just some general thoughts about the fallout from last week, now into this week, which will carry over to next week. The show really needed to bounce back this week. Like the fans needed it to. The show absolutely needed it to. The title character needed it to. Like the plot needed it to. It didn't. And it's one of the more baffling things I reckon I've seen in a big like big scale mainstream media project. It is genuinely head scratching that they've gone this way. I, I, I can't quite understand it. Last week they felt like they were a victim of some kind of corporate imperative to set up the concerns or you know, explain the concerns of another character and another show by virtue of that seeped into the territory in which it wasn't needed or required. And it wasn't that it was a good story. I'm at pains to say that last week's episode was a really, really good episode of another show. And then the same thing for this week. For the most part, this week is a really, really good episode. It's a really good piece of Star Wars, but not this show. You know, it was an enjoyable watch, but just not now. Like, there was some absolutely outstanding stuff in it, some brilliant stuff to see, but it was, I just felt as if it, it was a case of fan service at the expense of good storytelling. And I've said early on, I believe, in one of these reviews that I don't have a problem in, in, with fan service in and of itself because it's fun. As somebody who loves Star Wars, as somebody who hangs out every week for these episodes and can't wait for the next one, and even for all the qualms and issues I've had with these last two, they've been fantastic to watch as a Star Wars fan. A lot of it, with regard to the to show titled The Book of Boba Fett, it shouldn't be told here. It just it doesn't need to be like, you know. I was thinking actually at one point I got the clock out. Last week's episode went for in terms of screen time it was sort of about forty seven odd minutes, and then this week's episode, Boba Fett doesn't turn up for another forty odd minutes, another thirty sort of thirty odd minutes. He he been in a in a show called The Book of Boba Fett. Boba Fett was off screen for about seventy five minutes, for an episode and a half. And he was only in one scene today, which again, he didn't drive. In the last two weeks, he's become a really static part of his own show, receiving information as if he's a member of the audience. And to be honest, I think because of that, this show has just gone off the rails. You know, there's one episode left and it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with it and whether they can satisfyingly you know put a ribbon on this story they probably won't they'll probably just tease another season and tease the continuing adventures i I just don't know how sustainable that is as a storytelling model you have a season and within those seasons you tell you know acts or arcs of the story but you kind of have to leave it in a place that is satisfying at the end of that season either in totality or Having told you know a significant amount of the story, so we can be satisfied, that's all that this season can hope to do. The latter, that all they can hope to do is leave us in a potentially satisfying way for them to pick up the story next year or whatever they continue with it. Like using something like Ted Lasso as an example, um, they've had a had a very deliberately had a three season arc, and when you think about it the first two seasons, once you kind of know that information, the first two seasons do track with that, once again, for all the ups and downs that that show has. You can you can see the beats, the three acts, first act, second act, and then now obviously leading into the third. So they set out very deliberately with, we've got three seasons of you know 10 episodes a season, and at the end of season one, the story's going to be here, at the end of season two, it's going to be here, and at the end of season three, it's going to be here. And they're going to tell a 30-odd episode story you know when mashed together and I just I just can't help but watch the show the last two weeks and think I love that you're showing us this part of the story at this point in time because it's really interesting to do with Mando this week to do with Luke and Ahsoka and Grogu and, and you go this is great but if you wanted to make those shows just make those shows If you wanted to make a Bounty Hunter team-up show, which Boba Fett is in, well, we'd all want that. Just make that. If you want to make a Luke show, just make that. We'd all want it. You know, the last two weeks, I can't stress it enough, have been brilliant Star Wars content, but they should have been specials. They shouldn't be encroaching on this TV series. You know, it's been surreal to be watched, you know, over the last couple of weeks. It's been conflicting because we all want you to show us Luke post-Return of the Jedi. We all want to see that, but not now, not in this TV show. Like, make a special, do one of them a year, do two of them a year, I don't care. Make an animated show, I thought that was the best we were going to get at one point. If you're going to actually have Luke in live action, you know, digitally de-aged, etc., but if you're going to have him in live action, yeah, cool, just make that show. So it's, as I said, I'm just deeply conflicted as a fan about what we've been shown the last couple of weeks because I just don't know what to make of it. I don't know how to rationalise its place in this story with its place in the broader story. So it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, Chicken Salads, of course, is where we talk about the pros of the episode. It um, will sort of go through maybe, maybe not sequentially, but kind of. Um, the, the Mando sequence, I really kind of liked where he goes to visit Luke and... Um, and uh, obviously goes to visit Grogu, and he goes to the planet, which I've just drawn a blank on, uh, which Luke is obviously building his new temple on, which we see in flashback in the sequel films, um, which Ben Solo eventually destroys. But I kind of like that there was this mirroring of when Luke goes to visit Yoda, and Mando goes to this planet, and he lands the ship, and there's, you know, R2 greets him, and that was a cool little moment where R2's little radar dish pops up, and you kind of went, oh, that's, you know, it's R2-D2, lovable, much-loved character, and he's sort of been given a bum steer. R2 takes him towards this little settlement area, and all these cool droids are sort of helping build the temple, which was nice, that was interesting. Um, Just interesting tech, more than anything. I always say that, is make the world bigger and introduce new sort of avenues of industry. That's something he's making these droids, and these droids are functioning in the universe like this. It's sort of, I don't know, I just think it's a cool kind of little addition... To the law, which is nice, um, but it was just cool. It was, as I said, this this almost this felt like this companion piece to when Luke went to find Yoda, Mando's gone to visit Grogu, and it's kind of playing out similarly. You're told to wait, you haven't met him yet, stay here. You know you'll meet him eventually. It was this cool kind of thing, um, and it also felt like a really strong companion piece to Filoni's Mando season two episode, The Jedi, in which he meets Ahsoka. So I think very deliberately these things are sort of marrying up and, you know, thematically and, and the way they play out is, is meant to be quite similar, which was nice. Um, oh, Look, the lead of the episode was clearly the stuff with Luke Skywalker and Grogu. Um, and there's a lot in this segment of the, of the episode and um, it, it, the whole section kind of plays out as shameless nostalgia. It's all a cheap pop, as they say in the wrestling industry. Um, structurally, I think they would have been better just starting the episode with Grogu and Luke. And then Mando flies in. They started with Cobb Vanth in the desert. So that was an interesting kind of situation. But I think they could have tacked on the Cobb Vanth and Mando sequences back to back where Vanth comes across the pikes in the desert. They have their little back and forth. Uh, he uncovers the spice, figures out what they're doing there. When he returns to town, maybe Mando's already there. Oh, it's an interesting, you know, I'm not sure. But um, I just think that, You've got a you got a bit of a layup here because you can start an episode a little bit slower. You can really sort of gently lean the audience in to the episode when you've got a character like Luke Skywalker, because the audience are just going to eat up whatever you give us of Luke Skywalker, particularly in this era. You know, it's, it's legs crossed in front of the TV, sitting an inch away from the screen type stuff. You could you just, you would hang on every word he has to say, so you can have a slower pace, a more gentle pace. Because we want anything and everything you're prepared to give us of this character in this era. Um, The obviously question is here when they give us Luke like this and, and such an enormous amount of Luke Skywalker like this in this particular episode, the question is, are the others coming? Han and Leia and young Ben Solo? That's a question for another time. It's a discussion for another time. But given this series doesn't seem to give a shit about what should be spoken about and when. We can muse about it here. It sort of feels like at at some point they will. It feels like at some point um, yeah, Han and Leia will give their son to Luke to, to train because we're, you know, 10-odd years, if you want to say 10-odd years, well, technically, actually, what is it? Six, five or six years after Return of the Jedi, which was... 26 years before the force awakens so yeah at the moment we're you know 20 21 years before the force awakens so ben solo is born um so at what point does he come into the to the universe at this stage of his life you know so that'll be interesting to watch of all whether it's in this show or not at this rate who cares who knows where they'll put it um i just felt again speaking of reveals we spoke about uh, cad bane I don't want to get hung up on it, but when you've got these incredible characters to play with, don't, don't undercook their reveals. Even though we've seen Luke in Mando Season 2, and it was, a, it was a really fantastic moment, like they really undersold the Ahsoka one, now they're just giving away post-Return of the Jedi Luke on TV, which is unbelievable. We might speak about that a bit later. But give, give us a cool kind of lean in where you're like, holy shit, you're giving us Luke. Because when you show us R2, well, yeah, we know you're giving us Luke. So don't show us R2 to start the episode or start that segment of the episode. Start it with, you know, the the, the planet. Start it with, you know, shots of the environment, shots of nature. Start it with a voice off screen. Who's it talking to? It's Luke. He's talking to Grogu. Do it, you know. It just feels like when you just tear the band aid off, and oh, there he is, you're sitting there. In a medium shot, with his eyes closed. Oh, okay, fair enough. We're I mean, not complaining. I like seeing Luke, but build a bit of suspense. Um, I love that they kind of presented him in an appro uh, like an appropriately kind of stately manner. I think that's a really cool kind of element of his character. That he's like I said now, you know, five six years removed from Return of the Jedi, um, he is he is sort of closer to that sage Jedi master that he kind of needs to be, um, which is nice to see. Um, I love that they were building the temple. You know, again, you know, this just makes me angry about the sequels, you know, um, and obviously the, the one of the narrative thrusts of the episode was suggesting that Grogu would be, might be Luke's first student in this new Jedi temple, which is cool. Um, I love when Luke was telling Grogu of Yoda, um, although Grogu would have been at the temple with Yoda, They would have been there together, so I'm not really sure. Obviously, they're going with this angle that he kind of has this weird post-traumatic amnesia, I guess, and he doesn't remember anything. But, um, yeah, he would have, weirdly, he would have known Luke. He would have known Yoda much longer than Luke did. And Yoda probably would have had, (laughs) or could have possibly had a bit to do with him. But, again, that's a little bit of a bugbear of mine that they've gone with this angle that, This particular species is, you know, they live to be 900 odd years old, but at the age of 50 odd, he's like an infant. It's a bit, I just, it's a bit weird. I'm not quite sure I like that, but it's what they've gone with. I just think it narratively narrows what they can do with the character is that he's kind of aging in reverse dog years. So, yeah, he's 50, but he's actually like not even two years old. Like, he's nonverbal, he's drowsy all the time. So it's 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 an interesting concept that I'm I'm not a hundred percent really sure that I like to be honest. And it was an issue I had with when he was introduced to be honest that I just thought, yeah, why don't you just say he's like a newborn, like he's four or five? And this idea that you make him fifty that means that, as I said, I think you just they just box themselves in and the stories they can tell as to where he was at what particular time in the narrative. So that that's something a different topic altogether. But um, it was it was cool to kind of see you know Grogu learning to better control his powers. That's a nice show and tell moment, uh, show not tell moment, I should say. You know the show has obviously said that he's lost his connection to the Force due to a period of kind of inactivity. He was closed off from it, so he lost his um, competency. Uh, but it's nice to kind of see it coming back. I kind of liked when. Uh, Grogu and Luke were walking through the forest and Luke was telling him of Yoda and Luke was kind of just nudging him along with the Force. He was sort of kicking him up and um, moving him you know, five or six metres at a time down the path. And I, I sort of thought to myself, why don't you just put him in a little backpack like he did with Yoda? And eventually he did. He had a little Yoda backpack, uh, which was nice, which was cool to see again. A little nod. Um, good to see, interesting to see. You know, Grogu's point of view of the Jedi Temple purge, that he was there, uh, obviously, the night it happened. And as well, it'll be interesting to see some more chatter about this, you know, maybe in the morning when I wake up, but it looked like one of the Jedi fighting in front of Grogu and holding off the um, clone trooper horde was Sindra Leg, who, well, I assume it was Syndra Lig, um, is the Jedi... Didn't have any speaking you know, dialogue, but uh, he was the Jedi... Uh, portrayed by fight choreographer Nick Gillard in the prequel, so Nick Gillard was responsible for all the lightsaber choreography, and they gave him a little nod in Revenge of the Sith, um, and the video game as well of Revenge of the Sith, the movie, and the game. Um, and in the movie, he's shown a little hologram fighting Anakin, um, which was which was cool, and so to see him in the flashback, probably more than anything, you know, he was sort of the master swordsman within the Order, um, was nice. And that event, I suppose, is what, sort of 18, like 28-odd years ago now. So, or well, Grogu was like, what, 22 when that happened. But, um, yeah, so Syndra League will be interesting to see if people kind of talk about that and whether or not that connection on my part is right or no, or someone else altogether. And so how that plays out, we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, I liked, uh, and this is a weird one, when Luke ignited his lightsaber, I don't know why. I love it. Yeah, the green one. I don't know. Powers it up and you just I don't know, it's just great. It just takes you back to, you know, when he in you know, the, the Empire ends with him getting his hand cut off and you're sort of thinking, well he's lost the lightsaber, hasn't he? That's gone. Although not forever. It's ridiculous, but whatever. Um and you sort of go when he turns up in Jedi and he, you know, ignites it for the first time and it's so strange, but it, it was sort of like, oh whoa it's green. It shouldn't matter at all, but it's just, I don't know, I love it. Um, I like too this little moment of Luke having found Yoda's lightsaber. Um, I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a nice in keeping with some of the in-canon, sort of ancillary um, media of Luke, kind of, post-Return of the Jedi, going, sort of, hunting for various Jedi artifacts. Um, You know, and this was was covered in a few different games and and a few different other projects, but I just thought it was cool that he would Obviously, return to Coruscant at some point, um, Jedi Temple, you know, and just recover you know various trinkets and various bits and pieces. And one of them was the lightsaber of you know an establishment figure in his own journey as a Jedi. That's another example of something. Unlike the the Skywalker lightsaber, I don't necessarily need to see how he found that, which is maybe a contradiction. But with the Skywalker lightsaber, I think there needs to be a much greater explanation as to how that re-emerged and re-emerged so significantly in the story. Um, but with, with Yoda's one, I said a nice little touch, which was which was really cool, which I really liked. Um, I thought the acting, such as it is, that he was kind of a digital skin character, was better than it was in Mando. It was sort of had more of Mark Hamill's subtleties about it. A lot of dialogue is still off-screen, though, clearly, because the talking and mouth movements are always that... That issue with digitized characters, the you know, the uncanny valley—they look a bit vacant and soulless um, on occasion. So a lot of dialogue happens off the screen, um, which is just something they have to do. Um, here was a bit weird. He looked like a like a channeling the early era of the Beatles. It was just a bit Beatlesy, but you know, whatever. And but I, I do find myself wondering if they want to do more stuff with Luke. I mean, everyone always talks about Sebastian Stan playing him. If they want to do more stuff with Luke. Just just recast him. Like, we all know that Mark Hamill's obviously too old to play a 30 year old Luke. Clearly, we, we all accept that. So, if you get a character looks enough like him, cast him carefully, well, you just get it. Why don't you just do that? Just cast someone to play Luke Skywalker. And then that, that once again opens up so many more. Don't be sensitive about replacing Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker because everyone knows that, well, he's not age appropriate to play the character at this point of his life. So, Recast him, and then what that lets you do or allows you to do is tell so many more stories. It opens up so many more avenues for you. Or just make an animated show and Mark Hamill can voice Luke Skywalker. The Clone Wars stuff's great. Rebels was great. So just, just do that because I think you're probably going to have to because there's so much of the, the really important elements of that post-Jedi story, pre-Force Awakens, that has to be told. It has to be officially put into canon on the screen. What happened, how it happened, the influences of it, the effects of it, you know, all that stuff. It has to be done. So you're going to have to find a way to do it that's probably a little bit better than the way you're doing Luke at the moment because he's going to need to become a more significant character if he is to be in his own show or if he is to turn up so, you know, so often. Um, I was... Last one on Luke, just use the Force theme. This new kind of Luke theme that they, they've played you know, a little bit, it, it accompanied his appearance in Mando, and it accompanied his appearance here. I actually should have got a, a soundbite of it. But just play the Force theme. This new one you're using sucks. You know, You already own one of the best, most moving, and most perfect pieces of music in cinema. It's synonymous with the series. It's synonymous with the character. Just use that. I don't know why they're overthinking it. Just use the Force theme when you're dealing with Luke, and particularly this Luke, because he's earned it by this point. You know, Early in, when he was wistfully looking at the twin sons in A New Hope, and then as his journey continues through that original trilogy, by the end of Jedi, he has earned the Force theme. That's the whole point of a motif, is that you earn it. Then it becomes yours, and then you play it later on. I'm getting sidetracked. Um, Ahsoka? So I love that she's involved as Luke gets things going with his new order. I love that she's almost a bit of a consultant, you know. But how much of a consultant? How often she leaves at the end of the episode, and you know, will they ever see each other again? Perhaps. Um, they surely they have to. Though I'm beginning to believe this kind of she she must be dead by the time the sequels roll around. Her how by whatever means in whatever situation. She just can't have been around by the time those sequels roll around because she already obviously sat out the events of the original trilogy, having been you know such an enormous figure um, in the lead-up to them. So it just seems odd that she would again sit out what happens in the sequel. Tri- so that'll be, again, another interesting watch this space as to how that's addressed, if that's addressed, when it's addressed, because we've, we've got this next phase of her life you uh, know our own TV series, which is you know coming relatively soon. What that'll tackle, I imagine, there'll be Ezra and Thrawn and Sabine, and it'll be a Rebels sort of sequel, more than it is anything that pushes up on the timeline of the of the sequel trilogy themselves. Um, so that'll be that'll be a cool watch. This space. Um, I'm going to talk about reveals again. I'm going to have to. I apologize, but I have to do it because why have they burned? Such a really like a seminal moment between in her character in terms of meeting Luke Skywalker, meeting the son of her master, and the guy who redeemed him. This is a really emotionally potent moment that shouldn't happen off screen, it shouldn't be sold short. The idea of Ahsoka meeting Luke and being told that Anakin died in the light and particularly in light of what we saw um, in clone wars and you know the, the way they tied that that relationship up from that period of time in those last four episodes which was just beautiful and then more importantly in rebels you know that twilight of the apprentice and, and those those episodes with with Ahsoka and she's fighting Vader breathtaking they're absolutely brilliant and this idea that that's the last time she sees Anakin And there's this heartbreaking moment of recognising and realising she might have thought she thought he died. And no, he's become this horribly evil figure. He's been transformed um, from the Anakin that she knew into just something else altogether. To have her find out from Anakin's own son that no, he was redeemed would be quite a, a beautiful character moment and a really important moment for her. You can't do that justice the way they've done it in tonight's episode. It was just such a missed opportunity that they're going to have to double back around to and they're going to have to tell in flashback, which, again, that'll be fine. It'll be good to see it when they eventually tell it. But I just I just thought to myself, you've got to show us that moment. That's got to be the first moment we see of her meeting Luke, not this comfortable with one another, they've had a bit of a back and forth already for however long, we can't skip that far ahead. And it's just a a massive issue. Like, I'll use the example of, you know, just readily giving away Luke now on TV. feels like that old, you know, WCW in the pay-per-views where they'd give away these huge matches on Nitro that people would pay 50 bucks to watch on pay-per-view. They're just giving them away, you know, here you, go, here you go, have it at 10 o'clock on Monday night, just have it. Have this big match that the business model tells us we should make you pay to go and see at the cinema. It's just this interesting sort of, this sums up, I think, that change in philosophy from Disney towards Star Wars. Um, just on Ahsoka in closing, <laughs> her characterization at the moment is a bit frustrating. Yes, it's been a while since we saw her in canon and much would have happened in that time. You know, it's been maybe... You just think about it, sort of four or so years before, you know, what is it, four or five kind of years, maybe before A New Hope, and then we're ten years after that. So it's a long period of time has passed, but there's enough time for her to have changed, but I'm not really quite sure that the way they've gone with her character is, is the way to go. She's being played as very aloof. I get it that it's meant to come across as she's wise, but I'm just not sure that it's doing that. You know, the, the character of Ahsoka Tano was always, you know, really feisty and really charming. You know, it was a character you could really get behind, and she became a truly great character, you know, kind of in spite of some early misgivings. um. And I just don't think we're really quite seeing the Ahsoka of both the Clone Wars and Rebels in this presentation. And I get that it's a passage of time. It's been a long time between those, those shows, and people change. and I understand that, but you know, she's sort of swanning around like a Jedi of old, you know, pious, maybe even a touch arrogant. And that's kind of why she left the Jedi. You know, her attitude towards the training, which we'll get into, but her attitude towards Grogu's training, her attitude that, like, attachment and distraction is bad, and, you know, seeing that Mando and suggesting Mando would be a distraction for Grogu, I don't get it. And I've got problems with it. That stuff is one of the reasons the Jedi collapsed. The film's covered this. The film's covered that Anakin was made to feel bad for his attachment and Anakin was made to feel like he was doing the wrong thing and, and that you know attachment is forbidden and stuff like that. The film's made a point of saying that, no, it's not that. This, this, way, this way of thinking is outdated. This way of thinking is archaic. But here you've got a character who learnt that lesson firsthand and made the choice to leave... Because of some of those reasons, kind of like in- enforcing this really narrow dogmatic way of thinking again. And it's just, it's conflicting. And it's a bit, it doesn't feel right. And part of me instinctively feels that way. But then another part of me says, well, Dave Filoni's the one coming up with it. And like, he's usually pretty good. Like, his instincts are usually pretty spot on. And there would have to be a rationale somewhere. Somewhere down the line, there has to be a rationale for this. This has to be explained, because it feels out of character at the moment. Um, Just on Grogu's training, you know, as I said, just it feels like a contradiction of those six films, that attachment, you know, is bad. You know, Anakin was brought undone by his love, which was, um, you know, suppressed, and his emotions, which were suppressed, and this idea that, you know, Luke was too old for the training because he would have developed attachments, but then... The counterpoint to that was always that Luke redeemed Anakin with the same attitude and love and same attitudes towards, you know, friendship and feeling attached and feeling responsible for his friends. Yes, he was rash, but the lessons of his and his father's impulsiveness was that emotion should be encouraged. It's not bad. Like it just, I like I'm just struggling tonight to kind of make sense of all that. Um, just in terms of odds and ends. Like I mentioned, I liked R2's reveal with his little radar popping up. I think it happened in the wrong order, but I liked it as a reveal for that character. Thought it was quite sensible. But inadvertently, it was a reveal for Luke as well, which didn't do that character any good. Um, The training ball obviously came out. uh, Luke's go-to, clearly. Uh, obviously, left a lasting impression on him when Obi Wan got it out. That was just a piece of equipment sitting around on the Millennium Falcon, like it wasn't a piece of Jedi equipment. <laughs> and Luke's now gone. You know, that's good. We're going to use that. Um, but I like that. But at the same time, it was at that point where I kind of thought, yeah, this fan service might have gone too far this week. They might have, they might have pushed the boat out a little bit too far. Um, the training sequence itself was was a bit of fun again. More fan service. More callbacks. You know, George Lucas famously once said, it's like poetry, at rhymes. And this sequence was absolutely like that. Grogu was in the bag, he was on Luke's back. Um, he was doing a lot of the same choreography, you know, climbing up, doing the big flips. But then again, you know, like some footy drills, they don't go out of fashion, they always have a function. So maybe that's what Luke's attitude is. You know what, this was good when I did it. How many years ago? Seven years ago? And it's still good today, so we're going to go and do it again. Um, I love that Cobb Vanth turned up, you know, um, Timothy Oliphant. is just a cool dude, you know. He's just a cool dude. And more than that, he's a really good actor. Um, you know, he's sort of shunned a lot of the big roles, you know, in, in a lot of ways. You know, he's had obviously a, a tremendous run um, – uh, had, a, had a couple of flirty, like he did the the, the, the uh, Die Hard, obviously, which was Die Hard 4, which he was, he was very good in. He played the bad guy there. Um, you know, Justified, which was a, a much-loved show, Western show, so he's at home doing the Western thing. Um, but he's kind of shunned those big roles when he could have just as easily slipped into doing, you know, lots of rom-coms, doing a some kind of comic book property, you know, hitching his wagon to some kind of big IP and making the big money. But, um he's always seemed comfortable just to be an actor's actor and do the roles he wants to do and have fun doing them. Um, and when he turns up in this, I hope we see more of him as the, the time goes on because he just does it on the bit. He turns up, he's great, he's great to watch, um, has has fun with the role, uh, he's just good to watch. Um, obviously here, um, I thought it was interesting that he and Bob kind of had the same sort of perspective or code of honour you know after his showdown comes shoot out with the pikes in the desert you know he allowed the survivor to go back to his boss you know a little bit like what Bobber did in, in episode 2 I think 2 I think it was um, and similarly like he actually it was interesting when he, he demands he goes leave the spice behind yeah I think he might think it's like gold or money or whatever he suspects it is and when he opens it up it's spice and he tips it out in the desert despite the fact you know the pike tells him that's worth more than your town but he knows what it's worth. He knows what it means. He knows it only means bad things. Um, and I really loved just further to that, the presentation of that. You know, um, Mos Pelgo region is this Tatooine itself is a lawless frontier. And then, with the further you go in the desert, the more that's the case. You know, you got the the politics and the uneasiness of you know, what it means when a Cad Bane comes to town. There's this feeling of dread in the pit of your stomach. You know, ultimately that the the offer that he's given is a warning, but it's a threat. Um, and they have this cool kind of showdown on Main Street with the townsfolk peering out the windows and through doorways, you know, a classic Western trope. But I love that the the little corner of Tatooine that Cobb Vanth occupies. I love the way it's presented. Uh, I love the classic Western tropes. Um, yeah, and, and the way that it leans into those sort of... The gunslinger rolls in. Is he better than the gunslinger who's already in town? you they're going to put their reputations on the line against one another type thing. Is it going to be a shootout? How's it going to play out? Um, So that was really cool. And then further to that, I sort of mentioned above, you know, I sort of like this little through line that's going through the series too that the threat here is the pikes, yes, but what's turning people's heads, what's turning people, you know, towards Boba Fett's cause uh, when Boba Fett turns up in the show, uh, fleetingly as he does, is it drugs, like, infiltrating the community? They know that the Pikes are, yes, a crime syndicate. But what they're actually going to do is bring narcotics and drugs into the community. It's this kind of really grounded, sort of realistic concern, um, which has been fun to kind of watch play out and develop. And and even though there were only a couple of beats this week, there were some, some nice beats and some nice work done in getting that message across. Uh, as for the chicken shits, narrative discipline. I mentioned this earlier. There is an enormous and frankly unacceptable gap in the Star Wars mythology between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. And again, this stuff belongs in its own show. Whether that's animated, whether it's live action, I don't particularly care, but it doesn't belong in a show called The Book of Boba Fett. You can't sideline Boba Fett in a show called The Book of Boba Fett for 75 consecutive minutes across two episodes. And when he does turn up, he doesn't have anything to do can't do that I can't stress it enough that I've loved so much of what they've done loved it to death but not here like you've got us hooked on this story so tell this story stop getting sidetracked stop stop you know clicking your fingers and say look over here tell that story somewhere else you're not in any rush you own the property make that show do it justice in its own show um you know, further to that you know I'm, I'm <sighs> the title of the episode was almost a frustration in a weird way as well i like it but at the same time it's just that further telling me that they don't seem don't seem to understand the story that they're telling it's really weird you know you to have cad bane turn up which is cool because it's cad bane you're like oh it's interesting yeah cool good to see him you know he's a cool character but if you're making a horror film, you don't introduce the killer right before the end of the movie. That doesn't make any sense, and that's what's kind of happening here. Initially, it was, oh, the huts. The huts are the bad guys, and their big Wookiee friend. He's a threat. No, it's the mayor. The mayor can't be trusted. Oh no, it's the Pikes. You know them. You remember them. Oh, and here comes Cad Bane. You sort of going, yeah, yeah. Maybe if you put more effort into just streamlining the story rather than all these red herrings, it'd be a bit more satisfying to watch the show you're making. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Um, And then lastly, chicken shit-wise, just Boba Fett's utility to the story. Yeah, he can rally people to his cause and that's really good, but he has to drive the significant moments. Because that's the growth of that character that the, the show was actually doing a good job of building. That that's that was a cool kind of thing that they were, in the early episodes, really showing us his change in perspective, his change in attitude and why and what that was leading to. And then we get to this stage of the season and he's not really doing anything. He didn't go and get Mando. That was Fennec Shand. He didn't go and get, or turn, you know, Cobb Vance. Didn't get Cobb Vanth interested. That was Mando. He, he's sort of going... Uh, You are the title character, so give him these moments. You can't afford for him to be presented as he is getting an awful lot of help, and then further to that, becoming a passenger in his own show. You know, If you don't think he was worth making a show about in isolation, or you'd get sidetracked doing so, don't place him at the centre of the show. Have a cartel, have a crew of bounty hunters do a flashback episode covering you know, what he's been up to, how he got out, all that kind of stuff. Bang for your buck, one episode, bang, done. This is how he got to this point in time. Don't make seven episodes, half of which you're going to spend talking about completely different characters doing completely different things that should be taking place in a completely different show. Weird. Uh, Just some odds and ends. Uh, Mando's gift to Grogu was obviously revealed, which was uh, interesting, a little Mithril Bilbo Baggins-style chainmail shirt. Um... I don't know why it looks like you can have one or the other. It seems like it'd be pretty handy to have both the lightsaber and this Beskar chainmail shirt. Seems like it'd be a pretty winning combination if you're fighting someone, getting shot out or stabbed. Um, yeah, well, I'm sure that'll play out. Well, we didn't see Grogu's decision. We'll wait and see what happens there. Um, you know, On the drug thing, I liked that when the, the story is straightened up, they've done a good job of stressing that the tide is turning in the regions of Tatooine, people are beginning to notice a return to the bad old ways, you know, of five years, six years earlier. And that's a really important narrative beat that is being achieved, but kind of pushed to the same side at the same time. It's, it's weird that they're, they're kind of achieving this really important narrative beat with almost the bare minimum effort. <laughs> so I'm not sure if they're intending to do that, but they are accomplishing it. Um, there were a couple of quotes which I really liked uh, for a few different reasons. Uh Ahsoka Tano tells Mando, um, of Grogu training with Luke, there's no place in the galaxy more safe than here with Luke. Yeah, at the moment at the moment. Uh and they did they really did Luke dirty, didn't they? Like how has he become in the seriously, how did he become that character? I'd 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 love to be a fly on the wall listening to Filoni and Favreau as they write this stuff. Just going, they'd be shit canning Ryan Johnson like you wouldn't believe. They'd be just going, what an idiot. What a dickhead. How could he care? Frustrating. We don't want to talk about that. Um, Luke obviously encouraging Grogu, saying, you're trying too hard. Don't try. Do. Which is, you know, obviously an appropriation of the message and the lesson that Yoda told Luke himself, which was nice. I really liked that. Um, A powerful quote again from Ahsoka to Luke was that uh, sometimes the student guides the master, you know, which was true of her own relationship with um with Anakin, um, which was nice. That was a nice little moment. She also remarked to Luke that you know he's so much like his father, which was cool because that's the father, you know, the Anakin that she knew was very very different to the Anakin of the original trilogy, which is important. Um, I liked that the, <coughs> the uh, Jawas were getting around in their sandcrawler with a big crate dragon head on the top of it, like a big hood ornament. That was pretty cool. And then lastly, the Empire Strikes Back prop known as the Camp <laughs> So this was carried by the pikes late in the episode uh, to conceal the explosive, which they blow that bar slash casino up. Um, they walk into the, the establishment with it, they place it on the table, they leave. It was obviously an explosive device that blows the joint up. Um, it's a really quirky Star Wars prop because it was just randomly being carried by a resident of Cloud City during the evacuation in Empire. But in real life, it was an ice cream maker. It was just an unaltered purchased off the shelf ice cream maker that looked a bit strange and Star Warsy. So it was inserted into the film. They didn't paint it, they didn't alter the prop at all. So there was just this one guy fleeing the Empire with an ice cream maker. He was like, Fuck, I've got to get out of here didn't take anything else, didn't take any of these other belongings, pictures, anything, but this ice cream maker. So it's sort of taken on a life of its own in the fan community and has sort of since been properly explained. It's kind of been um, given a real explanation as this is what the item is. It's, it's kind of like a like a safe, like a, a handheld, you know, um, you can carry around it like a, yeah, like a safe. So you can put valuables in it. It was in Mando, obviously, um, the the Beskar, Beskar blocks from the client played by oh, what was his name? I'm just trying a blank. The German guy. I was going to say Wolfgang Peterson. It was absolutely not Wolfgang Peterson. I'd have to look this up because I've just drawn a huge blank on the guy's name. Director. German man. Director played by. Where is he? Werner Herzog. Jeez, that's frustrating. Not even there. Um, Yeah, so Werner Herzog obviously had one. Jon Favreau's spoken about it before. He just likes it. He's just a bit of fun. You know, the the fans who get the joke get the joke uh, and have a bit of a laugh uh, because of it. So, overall, in closing, a frustrating episode to assess because the good, while very, very good, great, in fact, has a questionable place in this story. I don't want to labour the point. The good is great, but doesn't belong here. So, as a piece of Star Wars content, it's a really strong, like, it's an A-, but as an episode of a TV show called The Book of Boba Fett, it's like a D. Even more so, it's probably maybe even worse than that, because next week's the finale, and we spent the last two weeks, you know, spinning the wheels. So, really strange, really hard to dissect, loved so much of it, frustrated by so much more. Um, really strange episode. So that wraps up the review of episode six of the book Book of Boba Fett from The Desert Comes a Stranger. Um, So much to unpack, so much to talk about, so much to muse over, so much to sleep on. Um, Do get in touch if you've been watching the show again. I'd love to hear your thoughts as always. Where do you think we'll wrap up? Where do you think we'll um, end up come this time next week? Uh, But thanks for your time, obviously, for listening in to this. We look forward to doing it all again in seven days' time. Goodbye.